If you're newer visiting, we're doing a series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're walking through it together, and uh, it's been really good so far. Um, I just want you to know this morning that at the end of the service, there will be a chance to respond by coming forward and kneeling and seeking prayer. You don't have to kneel, but it's a convenient place right here. You can stand if you want, um, but for, for seeking prayer. And uh, you'll see why as we go through. But there will be two specific categories that the passage today will be speaking into. The first one is that of being dirty or polluted, um, of being unclean. Uh, we all know that sin messes us up and we know it stains us. Uh, and so that will be part of it there. And then the second one will be of uh, being broken or paralyzed by your sin. Uh, you know you should move forward, but you can't. You're just stuck. And both of the passages are going to speak into that this morning. And so uh, in, the, in both parables, you'll find that the people went towards Jesus. And I thought, what more appropriate than having an opportunity for people to symbolically move towards Jesus this morning. So um, I want to alert you ahead of time so that you won't feel manipulated or leveraged. And here's the big caveat. No one has to come forward. All right? I don't have any expectations. I don't have any, if one one person comes to the service, utter failure, and, uh, you know, none of that. This will be simply an opportunity. And if you're there this morning and and you feel led by the Holy Spirit to come up, then you come up. We'll have people up here that can pray with you, and, uh, and we'll worship together. And it went well in the first service, so I'm assuming it will go well in the second. All right, so with all that in mind, we probably should pray. Would you join me? Let's, let's pray. Father, we seek you. We seek you, first of all, for the junior high retreat, Lord. We pray that you would light up our junior high on fire for you. Lord, we pray that you, they will encounter you, that they will meet you, that you're not just a name or a story or a place where they go, but you're a living relationship and a person they can know. Father, we ask that you'd give the staff wisdom and insight how to answer questions and how to come alongside. And, and we seek you for momentum. We, we pray, Lord, there are thousands and thousands of junior high and senior high students right within a two-mile radius of us. And Lord, probably about 90% of those don't know you. And we, we would lift that up and say, bring revival to this region and ignite the youth of this region. And we ask for that. And then, Lord, as we pray this morning, some incredibly great pictures, some very significant ones for me and in my ministry life and uh, what they've meant, anchor points for me with you. And I pray they become anchor points for us as well this morning. And as we do this, Lord, if there is someone who wants to, who needs to respond, we pray that you give them the courage and faith to do that. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. So let's get started. If you got your Bibles, open up. We're in Mark chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 40. And it reads like this. A leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. This is really an absolutely fascinating encounter. Okay? This, when we read it, it doesn't sound so exciting, but if you were actually in the circumstance, if you were actually there, this would be off the charts. The, the power of this story is easily lost on us today um, simply because leprosy as a disease has been largely eradicated. Uh, it's still in some places. Uh, uh, Africa still has it. India still has some of it. There are very... But for, by and large, we really don't 
deal with it anymore. And so it doesn't create the fear uh, that it used to. But just saying the word leprosy, right? That word carries, still carries the stigma. It still carries an impact. Uh, to capture the intensity, we probably have to go back to like the 1940s and the 1960s here in the United States with the polio epidemic. Uh, if you are over 40, uh, I'm 63, and when I was in school, there were kids or adults who had polio, and they had the braces and the crutches. And remember the movie Forrest Gump, Run Forrest Gump, and all the things came flying off? That came from polio. Right? And all of us who grew up in that era recognized it. And, and, but you don't see that today anymore because it's largely been um, taken care of. And so, uh, or to match it would be maybe the late 80s, uh, early 90s with the AIDS epidemic, right? And, and created incredible fear. Nobody in, in both of those and with leprosy, nobody knew what those really were. Nobody knew how they were transmitted. You didn't know if you were in the same town. You didn't know if you were in the same room. You didn't know if they breathed on you. How, how is that transferred? How do I get that? I, and, and so as a result, largely what was practiced was isolation, right? You would actually have leper colonies uh, back in the day. There aren't many of those anymore either. But many of the early Christian ministries back in the 1800s were to people in leper colonies. It was uh, an amazing, courageous thing to do. And so we've kind of, kind of lost that. But there was just this huge state of panic and fear. And, and leprosy was all of that and more. Uh, some pictures that might help us get a handle on how devastating the disease was. I told Margaret I wanted some pictures. She goes, oh, yuck, why would you show that? It's gross. And I go, well, that's the point, is you've got to see what it is before you realize, you know, what the cure is. And so we toned it down a little bit. But here's some pictures of leprosy. Uh, often what happens is uh, you, your hands, your the extremities get numb. And so then if you... Uh, cut them or do something you don't even really notice and pretty soon after a while the disease just eats away and you end up looking something like this another picture of leprosy would be uh, this known as a skin disease right this is a fairly uh, one you could actually look at there's other ones that are really gross and creepy and ugly but it gives you an idea and so the people who literally were cast outside the camp. They were quarantined. And if you go through uh, Leviticus, what they had to do was they had to have their hair unkempt, they had to wear torn clothing, and they had to walk through town with their hand over their lip shouting, unclean, unclean. And what that was for is if you were coming down the side street, like if I were coming here and I had leprosy and I was walking in front of the senior high here and I was yelling unclean, you'd all bail. Okay? And you'd be over on the other side of the auditorium because you didn't want to be close to a person if they had leprosy. And so it's, just think of the stigma. Think of the ostracization. Think of the isolation. Think of how you'd feel. You once probably had a career, you had a job, you had a neighborhood, you had a family friend. You've lost all of that. It's all out the window. Your life is literally turned upside down. So going back to this passage we see this unbelievable scene where a leper comes up to Jesus and it says, imploring him. The sense here is that he rushes up to him. Look at what it says. Oh, oh, here's the third picture of Jesus 
touching the leper. It says, And the leper came imploring him, kneeling and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. That man, that leper, had no doubt that Jesus could heal him. He knew he could heal him. What he didn't know is if he would heal him. You see the difference there? He knew that Jesus could heal him. He didn't know if Jesus would heal him. And so he comes up and he says, If you will, you can make me clean. Now, we don't know where or how he got this information. We, we don't know if he was around town or he'd seen the other things Jesus had been doing or he heard stories of them. That part isn't given to us. Um, but the question was, would he, Jesus, heal him a leper, the social outcast, the, the one who couldn't and didn't belong? And in that, Jesus does the absolute unthinkable. Look what it says, follow along. It says, moved with pity. Moved with compassion would be a way we would do it. Deeply stirred in his heart and in his feelings. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Wow. Uh, I Remember, this, this particular story in Scripture has a huge impact on me. When I first came out to uh, Seattle, it was in 1980, and I was uh, the had just become the youth pastor at uh, North Shore Baptist Church, which is now North Shore Community Church. And uh, we had a staff meeting together. And on my staff was a couple called, known as Don and Joe Mead. Fantastic, salt-of-the-earth people. Loved Jesus with all their heart. Don was actually at North Shore, the first convert at North Shore, and the first baptism that North Shore held. So this is back in the days when it was a little piddly church and um, there were hardly a few people. They met in a house. And Don was actually the first convert. And so Don and Jill were on my youth staff and they worked with me, youth staff, fantastic people. And Don uh, gave this devotional and he talked, about, he talked about Jesus healing this leper. And I remember very distinctly, very clearly, because uh, we were in the kitchen and uh, in the, off to the living room and, um, and Don was saying, you know, you have to think about it. Jesus touched him. And he said, it wasn't just that he touched him, but how he touched him. He said he didn't, he didn't stand back, like I'm going to use Dean again, right? Glutton for, that's what you get for your daughter leading worship. You've got to be in both services. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and so he didn't stand back and go, okay, uh, be clean, right? Or he didn't come to the guy and he looked in the, and when the guy said, if you will, you can make me clean. He didn't go, okay. Oh, be clean. Okay? He didn't do that. What it says is he came, the man rushed to him, the man knelt down, and Jesus was with him, went to him, and Jesus said this, I will be clean. That's incredibly powerful. Jesus stretched out his hand. He laid it on a man with leprosy and it defied all conventional wisdom. He broke all the priestly laws. He violated all the priestly laws. If you go to Leviticus, you read them. He broke all those laws. And he violated all the cultural laws. He also violated all the health laws. 
And he just blew the whole thing apart. And yet Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said, you have asked if I will. I do. I will. Be clean. I was deeply moved by this picture that Don had painted and it indelibly marked, no pun intended because we're in the Gospel of Mark, right? But it indelibly marked my picture and understanding of Jesus. The idea that Jesus could touch somebody like that and say, I want you to be clean. I want you to be healed. Because normally the convention is if you touch somebody like that, what? They don't heal you, they make you sick. Right? If we have colds going around, right? Don't cough on me. I always tell people if they've got colds, hey, if you cough on me, you're preaching next week. Okay? What's the point there? We know how stuff is transmitted, and so we don't want to be passing that stuff along. And so we don't think of the healthy person healing the sick person. We think of the sick person getting the healthy person sick. Right? And so Jesus changes all that. Can you imagine what those words sounded like to the crowd? I mean, can you imagine when he went up and he laid his hand, what, the, what they're doing? Like, what? What's, what, is he nuts? What's he, I mean, they'd have been freaking out, right? They probably were backing up as the guy came forward. Can you imagine what those words sounded like to the scribes and Pharisees who were watching? Well, Leviticus says this, and Leviticus says this, and Leviticus says this, and Leviticus says this. You know, they, they would have just been going crazy too. Can you imagine what those words sounded like to the disciples? You know, can you, Jesus, do you know what you're doing? Hey, hey Jesus, uh, maybe we ought to tell you that guy's got leprosy. Do uh, you got it figured out? Right? There'd be all these different takes. But bottom line, can you imagine what those words meant to the leper? Can you imagine somebody who had no future, He's lost everything that's been valuable to him. He's now an absolute social outcast. And Jesus says to him, I will be clean. It's incredible. Can you imagine what he thought? We're going to find out how he reacted here, but it's, it's powerful, powerful imagery. And then it goes on to the part that we always wrestle with, right? And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. This was to be a witness to the priests and the people that God was doing something in Israel. There was prescribed exactly what was supposed to happen, how, what you brought, and, and that kind of stuff. And Jesus said, go do that. Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And he was wanting everyone to know he was operating within the law. But the Expositor's Bible Commentary brings out another interesting slant on this whole picture. And it has to do with three words and how they're used in Mark to describe the scene. So let's take a look at these three key words here and we'll pull something out of this. This is kind of fun. Verse 41, the Greek, right? Orgathesis, instead of having compassion or moved with pity, can also be interpreted as being angry. Right, which is different than compassion or pity. Right? They're like, whoa, wait. Also can be, be angry. And then in verse 30, 30, 43, the Greek word ekbalo, which sends, means sent him away, is also the very same word that's used for driving out demons. So it's the same word when Jesus 
tells them to be silent and come out of them, it's, that's that word, ekbalo. All right? And then the third one, in verse 43, Greek, embryomai, I'm not sure I'm saying that right, is, is the idea of with a strong warning. So when it says Jesus sternly charged him, it means a really strong warning. Uh, it's this, the word that originally meant to snort like a horse. Isn't that cool? I like those kind of words. That's a Wisconsin word. I like that, right? Snort like a horse. And so there's this idea of Jesus charging him sternly and ordering him away like he was driving demons away and being angry with the whole process. And the commentary says that this introduces an element of anger or indignation in Jesus warning the man. Why? Well, the best answer, the commentary says, is that Jesus knew the man wouldn't obey him. Right? Don't go tell anybody. Go to the priest. And he knew before he even said it, it wasn't going to happen. Because what was this guy doing? <laughs> what? He's going bonkers. I bet you he's jumping up and down. He's running around in circles. He's talking to everybody he can talk. Look, look. And they're back. No, 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 no. Look, look, look. I'm not a leper. Look. I mean, he's going crazy. Guy's just running up and down the streets, hugging people. They're like, ah, right? And, and he's trying to tell them that he's been healed. And as a result, it says, Jesus couldn't even enter a town anymore. He had to be out in the waste places. Look at Mark 45. It says, but he went out and he began to talk freely about it. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Remember that map of Galilee and all those towns? He can go into any of them, right? He had to stay out now in the wilderness spots. But he was out in the desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. That just means that what happened? Word's getting out and people are coming from everywhere. People are coming from north, south, east, west. People become in all directions. They're coming from the whole country. And so things are quickly escalating here. Stuff is happening, and, and, and you can feel the momentum picking up and the pressure uh, increasing. And that leads us to our second scene this morning. We start in Mark chapter 2. We've got to chapter 2. This is awesome. Here we go. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. I know exactly how this works, because when I go home to Wisconsin, I'll show up in the driveway, I'll walk into my mom's house, and within three minutes, the phone will start ringing. And it'll be all the people, hey, we hear Steve's home, right? I mean, just a bam, it's like that in a small town. It's, it's hilarious fun. But that's exactly what happened here. It says um, that he, um, when he returned to Capernaum someday, it was reported that he was at home and many gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to him. It doesn't say he was healing people. What does it say? He was preaching. For the first time, we realized Jesus is now preaching the gospel to him. And we're like, wouldn't it have been awesome to be a fly on the wall and hear what he was saying? We don't know what he said in that meeting. You know, we, we know a lot about God. God's shown us a lot of stuff. We know his heart. We know his character. He's given us the scripture. We know all kinds of stuff. But there's also a lot of stuff that we don't know. John said if everything that Jesus said had been written, probably the whole world couldn't contain all the books that would be there, right? So this is one of the places we don't know exactly what he said. Wouldn't it have been fascinating to be there and be a part of that and listen to him? And in the midst of Jesus doing that... Uh, 
he, this thing breaks out. We find he's back in Capernaum, right? His, that's, he's probably back at Simon's house like we found last week, uh, though we don't know that for sure, but pretty sure it was probably. And, there's, and now there's no such thing as not having a crowd. He can't go anywhere. This house is packed. The door's packed. It's probably spilling out into the courtyard. You can't even get close to the place. And Jesus is preaching. And, they, and then it goes on to say this. And they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now this is equally as fascinating and as galvanizing as the last story we just read. Because there's so many details we don't know. For example, who's the paralytic? We don't know. Right? How did he get paralyzed? We don't know. There's all kinds of details. But we know his friends were motivated on behalf of their friend. They literally carried him on a stretcher so that he could get to Jesus. And it says when they got there, they realized they had a problem. When they showed up, they realized that not only were they not able to see him, but they weren't going to be able to get to him. There's no way to get in. And so they did something really innovative. What they did is they took the outside staircase and went up on the flat roof, and they began to rip the roof together. It's thatch and mud and that kind of stuff that they built those roofs with, with some beams running through. And so they just ripped the roof up, which would have caused all kinds of mud and debris to come raining down on the people below, right? So if you're standing there like, whoa, wait, you're, gonna, you know, you're backing out of the way. So there was actually some room there now. And it says in that opening, in that gap, they lowered the guy down, right? Now, why is this fascinating? Because we just blow by these stories and we don't think about these pieces. You know, when, when this guy did that, and they lowered him. You have to understand something. There were no guarantees. There was no scripture at the time existed that this guy knew that Jesus would heal him or that he'd even accept him. I mean, what if the guy gets down there, he's laying on the floor, and Jesus says, get out of here. You're interrupting my meeting. I'm preaching the gospel. What's the guy going to do? He's a paralytic. Uh, 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 I What's he going to do? He can't go nowhere. right? He has no idea. In that culture, if you did something really stupid like that, they weren't um, sensitive about your feelings. They'd pound the snot out of you, right? They would have pummeled him. And he's a paralytic, so he can't go anywhere. So he's, this is a big face step. As they lower him down, he's hoping by God that this is going to work, right? And it says, what? Jesus seeing their faith. Seeing their faith. Now, was it his friend's faith who dared to, to bring their paralyzed friend that he was talking about? Or was it the man's faith who got his friends to bring him to Jesus? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. It was probably a both and rather than an either or. But Jesus is something that's absolutely astounding. He does not say what you'd think he'd say. He doesn't look at the guy and say, hey, be healed. He doesn't look say, rise. He doesn't say, um, you know all these different medical things, what does he say? Son, your sins are forgiven. Now you're saying, what's so outrageous about that? He's Jesus. Think about when you get sick. Think about when you have to go to the doctors, right? 
You're not at the doctor's office, right? You've waited your 25, 30 minutes. They bring you in a room. You wait another 20 minutes. The doctor walks in and you start saying, well, I have these things. And he points at you and says, son, your sins are forgiven. How would you react to that? Like, what? Your sins are... Don't talk to me about my sins. How do you... You don't know my sins. You're a doctor, right? And, and give me some drugs. Give me something that makes me feel better, right? We, that's the same thing. Nobody expected Jesus to say that. We, we know that now because we can look in hindsight. But at that moment, no one in that room expected Jesus to say that. This was blowing people out of the water. Your sins are forgiven. This has absolutely caused unending conjecture on what happened in terms of sin that caused the man to be paralyzed. I've heard all kinds of sermons about this, right? One pastor even conjectured that the guy had done something like a frat party, right? And at frat parties, you get really drunk and do really stupid things, but it sounds really brilliant at the moment. And so that this guy did that, in the process of doing that, he got paralyzed. And the assumption is that the four friends who brought him brought him because they were guilty because they were part of the escapade too, right? We don't really know. What we do know is the guy ended up being paralyzed. But Jesus' analysis of the situation is really amazing. Your sins are forgiven. You know, if you think about it, what greater words could a person hear than your sins are forgiven? Though we don't know all the circumstances of what caused this man to be paralyzed, this guy got it. He knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He knew exactly what Jesus was king in, and and he most certainly knew what Jesus was speaking about. And then we get another layer. Some of the scribes, some of the religious professional people were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God? Now, they may have been impressed with Jesus. They may have been willing to give Jesus credit that he was a theos anor or a holy man, which is translated a miracle worker or a holy man. But they had not yet considered and were not willing to consider that Jesus was God. That was way past the point of no return. And make no mistake about it. Jesus was claiming and presenting facts that he was God. There's, there's a line in our culture, it's very popular, you've probably heard people say this, well, you know, the church is all this and that, and besides that, Jesus never claimed to be God. You've probably heard people say that. There's a very popular um, my, way to think these days. And I just want to beg to differ, both publicly and privately, okay? Steve as the pastor, and then just as Steve who reads the scripture a lot. I, I just want to beg to differ with that. He claimed to be God all over the place. You can't read anywhere in the New Testament where he doesn't claim to be God. And this is just one of the instances where he did. And therefore, when he forgave the man his sins, he, Jesus, he had crossed the line. They weren't willing to concede. Right? They were willing to put up with some stuff. But once he went there, that, had, that blew a gasket. They, and they called it for what it was, blasphemy. Now, we don't use blasphemy as a word much anymore. You know, high school students, nobody walks down the hallway and somebody says, that's blasphemy, right? Oh! right? Nobody does that, right? They may have other words for it, but we don't use blasphemy. So let's look up blasphemy here. What does blasphemy mean? There's two things that are attributed to Unger's Bible Dictionary. 
First one is, some, uh, you attribute some evil to God or denying Him some good which should be attributed to Him. Uh, for example, in the New Atheist Camp, uh, God is actually wicked and religion is a cancer to people and should be gotten rid of. Okay, that's blasphemy. The second one is giving attributes of God to a creature or a human. All right? And this is the second one. It's the second one there that Jesus is being accused of. How can you, being a man, even if you're an outstanding man, claim the things that are or can be only attributed to God? That's nuts. You're crazy. Not going to happen. In a sense, they had their theological noses bent. Right? They were just out of sorts. Then it says this. But immediately, Mark uses immediately here again, but immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or uh, to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. So Jesus catches them in their thoughts. And you can imagine that was pretty startling. Like, how did you know we were thinking that? And he knew precisely what they were thinking. And so he throws a question out to him. He says, well, which is easier to say? And here's where the genius of Jesus comes in. You know, Jesus is a genius, right? He is brilliant. Sometimes we forget that. But he is incredible in his capacity. And... Uh, this statement, which is easier, the truth is neither of the statements are easy. Right? Your sins are forgiven. Do we walk around saying that to people? Uh, if we walked around Mill Creek and, you know, hey guys, in school, you walked down to school, hey, your sins are forgiven. What kind of reaction do you get? Uh, how far down the hallway would you get? Probably not very far, Right? If we did that at our work, hey, Joe, your sins are forgiven. What? Yeah, your sins are forgiven. What is wrong with you, right? If you did that in the grocery store, hey, your sins are forgiven. Get out of here, right? I mean, right? That's not, we don't, that's not an easy thing to say. Nor is it easy to say to sick or crippled or paralyzed people, hey, Get up out of bed, rise and walk. This is really poignant to me right now. I told you last week about my friend Jeremy in Australia and, and the bicycle crash that he had. And, um, and actually, now I, we got a couple updates and he actually has some movement in his legs and his foot, which doctors say is impossible to happen. So I'm hoping that Jesus will touch Jeremy just like he touched this guy. Wouldn't it be awesome if he got out of bed and walked? Like, wow, would that be cool? You know, I'd go to Australia to go see that, right? That'd be awesome. But to say to somebody, hey, get up and walk, that would be cruel. That'd be mean-spirited. That would be like, st stop it. Why, why? Don't play games with me. Leave me alone. Don't give me false hope. So the truth is, neither of these statements are really easy. Your sins are forgiven. Arise, take up your bed and walk. Both are actually very difficult statements. Especially on the execution side. It's one thing to say them, it's another thing to pull it off. Right? 
You could say to somebody, hey, be healed. Right? Walk around, touch them on the head, be healed. That doesn't mean they'll be healed. But if you could actually walk around and touch people and they were healed, that's incredibly impressive on the execution side. Just as it's incredibly impressive that someone could say to you, your sins are forgiven. Like Jesus did here. And Jesus does exactly that. Look what he says. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and he went out in the presence of them all so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Duh. Right? And again, going back to, to those who claim that uh, Jesus never claimed to be God, one, you've got to know the whole purpose of this gospel, the whole purpose of the four gospel, the whole purpose of the New Testament, including here Mark, and including this very story, were written to prove that he was and that he is exactly who he claimed to be. What does it say? So that you may know that the Son of Man, which is a title for God, has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go home. And that's exactly what the man, the paralyzed man did. A paralyzed guy. Legs probably atrophied, but boom! Okay? Right? Can you imagine what that would have looked like? Their shock? It says they were amazed. Like, what? Right? They were like, yeah, they weren't like us sitting there going, oh yeah, that's really cool, Jesus. Glad you did that. Uh, what's for lunch today? That's, that wasn't the deal. They were blown away. They were like, what's going on here? Can you imagine what the man felt or thought? You're laying there, you're crippled, you're paralyzed. Your buddies lower you down. Everybody in town that you know is there. And he says to you, hey, pick up your mat and go home. Okay. Right? And people moving out of the way, like, do we touch it? What's going on here, right? It had been crazy. I can walk. What? I can walk. Is it going to last? Am I going to make it out to the courtyard? Is this real? I can walk. Oh my gosh, I can walk. I mean, can you imagine what was stirring up on the inside of that guy? And this just leaves two really amazing pictures for this morning that I want to consider now on our level. Obviously, we weren't there. That's actual real history. That actually really happened. Okay? But we weren't there. We just get to read about it. But it leaves us with these two pictures this morning. The first picture is the healing of the leper. The second picture is the healing of the paralyzed man. And here's the pictures. What does that mean for us this morning? See if this makes sense to you. The first one, the healing of the leper, is saying this. There is nothing too dirty. We could use the word diseased as well, or polluted, that Jesus can't touch and heal. I've been in church for a long time, and I know a lot of people who are like, 
you know, Jesus can forgive everybody else's stuff, everybody else's crap. Mine's just too bad. He can't, you know, I'm too far. I'm too far gone. He can't touch it. He can't heal it. And this is telling us, yes, he can. It doesn't matter how polluted you are. Okay? Our culture is incredibly polluted. He can still touch our culture. Uh, a, a favorite phrase that's come out of our network, the North Sound Network, is that the Holy Spirit is not intimidated by the Northwest. And I love that. I love that. The Holy Spirit is not intimidated by the Northwest. We may think we're intimidating Him, but we're not. There's nothing too polluted that Jesus can't touch and heal. And so the question number one this morning, is there anybody polluted here this morning? Is there anybody here whose your thoughts are diseased? You keep running along the groove of the record and you follow the scratch, not the music. Because your self-talk is absolutely twisted and, and deformed and it rails on you and it's, it's crooked and it's, it's leprous. Is there anybody polluted this morning? who needs to be touched by Jesus. And then the second question follows along and is somewhat close to it. There's nothing too broken or paralyzed that Jesus can't speak into and heal either. I know a lot of people who are paralyzed in their spiritual walk. They cannot move forward because they cannot let go and they cannot let go and they cannot forgive and they cannot forget because they hold on to it because they believe whatever it is they've done is so bad that it, they, it can't be healed and they are spiritually paralyzed. They can't move forward. They're stuck. Even though they're going to church, even though they're doing the right things, they have all the right accoutrements and outside behavior inside their froze. They're stuck. They're paralyzed. And the question this morning, is there anybody paralyzed here this morning? Anybody who can't move forward? Anybody who can't get up? You know you should, but you can't. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come forward and uh, they're going to just be up here. Don't worry about them. You know who they are. And... uh They'll just have some background music going. But uh, let's, let's focus on those two questions. Is there anybody polluted this morning? Anybody unclean? And is there anybody paralyzed this morning? You can't move. You've tried. You just can't break through. You can't move. As I said before, nobody has to come forward. Nobody comes forward. It's all good. But in both of these stories, what I find significant, and see if this doesn't ring true for you as well, is both of these people came towards Jesus. A lot of people say, oh, I thought Jesus chased us. I thought he came after us. He does. We're going to sing a song that talks about his chasing after us as fierce. If you've ever had God chase you, you know that's true. They call him the hound of heaven for a reason. All right? But Jesus had already chased them. Why? He had shown up. He was there. And so then the question is, okay, Jesus came this way to meet them. Would they move towards him? And in both cases, the leper and the paralyzed man 
came towards him. The leper came on his own volition and he knelt before him. The paralyzed man actually had to have friends carry him. But where did they carry him? Straight to Jesus. And so I thought, how symbolic, how perfect that we would do the same action and symbolically come towards Jesus this morning. So if you do something this morning with me, would if you just bow your heads in prayer and get in your own space, because this is your own space kind of thing. This is not the person next to you. Let's go over those questions again, just in the quietness of your heart. Is there anybody polluted here this morning? You need Jesus to touch you. And is there anybody paralyzed here this morning? You need Jesus to give you the ability to move forward again. Again, nobody has to come forward. But if somebody does come forward, there's a place right here. It's really easy to kneel. And it's really uh, symbolic of coming to the altar and kneeling before the Lord. If you want to come and just stand, that's perfectly fine as well. We have people who will pray with you and they'll come up as they see you come up. So the question this morning is, in the quiet of your heart, is there anybody is there anybody who needs to come up? Anybody polluted? Anybody paralyzed? needs to come forward. Between you and God. But here's what's important. You're saying, well, I'm scared, I'm nervous, my heart's pounding, my palms are sweaty. Yep. It says the leper was full of faith. And when Jesus saw the paralyzed man, it says he saw their faith. It takes a step of faith to move towards Jesus. You can't just always sit there. We're going to give just a minute or so. If you feel nudged from the Holy Spirit, you come up. And we'll pray with you. We're going to worship. It's important to remember that when we come together, this is worship collected. That it comes out of our obedience during the week. It comes out of our time in the Word during the week. It comes out of our time of prayer. But that when we gather together, the manifest presence of Christ, it says that God dwells in the praises of His people. And like that leper and like that, paralyzed guy we owe an incredible debt of appreciation and love to our great King and Savior the Lord Jesus we may not have had leprosy we may not have been paralyzed but all of us 
He has looked into your eyes and my eyes and said, your sins are forgiven. That is the greatest gift in the universe because none of us are guiltless. Jesus is a genius. He has done an incredibly great job. And He gave us these two stories to let us know no one is too polluted, no one is too paralyzed, that He can't touch and heal them. Let's stand this morning and we'll worship together.